FMX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables presented by Maxis Tires, Scott Goggles, and Pro Taper. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for leaving a review and a rating. We'd really appreciate it, unless it's a shitty rating, and then don't leave it. But uh, if it is good, yeah, please do it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love doing these podcasts. 1983 Orlando Supercross, which we will tell you in a second on uh, why this race is such a big deal. Uh, thanks to the folks at Liat for coming on board. Uh, whatever it is, they've got it. Protection gear from head to toe, helmets and chest protectors and elbow guards and knee braces and neck braces. And they have a whole line of motocross gear as well. The Solitaire guys ran Liat all year long in Supercross, so you saw that. they got the Velocity goggles, flex lock boots. Liat is a great company. A lot of things going on with those guys. And uh, mountain bike stuff, a ton of mountain bike stuff. Um, really good stuff, too. I have a helmet of theirs that I use every now and then. So the best part of Liat coming on board this podcast is you can save with them uh, using a code. So they have a, a contact form on pulpamex.com. Go there. Use the contact form. Uh, we will send you a code to save at liat.com. You can order directly and save from those guys. Scott Goggles and uh, Decal Works, Maxis Tires, Guts Racing, all on board with us as well. We'll tell you more about them later on in the show. But for now, my co-host, talking to Liat Reraceable, 1983 Orlando, the Jason Wygant. What's up, Weech? Yeah, this is the Dogger episode, the Ron Lachine episode of the Liat Reraceables. Uh, you hit up Dogger, one of your favorites. Yeah. And said pick a race, and he picked this one. But it is significant, not just for Ron Lachine. Uh, it's significant for two reasons. A, as uh, I want to thank Davey Coombs for pointing this out. This is where Bob Hanna's second run, or Hurricane 2, as it was called, ended. He broke his wrist in press day at this event. And he was on his way to just decimating everyone and kind of taking over the sport for the second time. This race would be the end of that. But also, also, if we put this in perspective of what Lachine did, and then he goes and wins his first national the next weekend, correct? Yep. If you if you put that in perspective, can you imagine if we had had podcasts and the media like we have today, then uh, what we would be saying about this guy having won a premier class supercross and then his first outdoor national within one week, and he's 16 years old. Well, to yeah, to make it even gnarlier, he's 16. Yep. This is his one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, this is his. Sorry, I, I lost count here. Three, four, <laughs> five, six, uh, seven, eight. This is his ninth career Supercross in the big bike class. No 125s back then. You just jump nope. into 250s, as Wardy told us a few episodes back. Uh, ninth races. So eight races, and then he wins his ninth race. No real learning curve. He was nope. uh, po- he podiumed uh, his fourth ever Supercross um, on in the big bike in, uh, in Texas, and then he won his ninth ever one. Then he won his first national, uh, and that would be his uh, third, four, his fourth ever, sorry, fifth ever national he won. 
and Ron Lachine was off and running. And think about that. Davey Coombs likes to tell a story. Davey was a really good rider uh, back in the day and rode Loretta's, of course, and rode some supercrosses. And Davey likes to tell the story that Ron Lachine is the one that made him decide to go to college. I don't know if that's totally true, yeah. <laughs> but I do believe that Ronnie put a beat down on Davey in 82 or 81, and Davey was like, yeah, well, and that guy's pretty good. <laughs> so, Yeah, I mean, this is, um, this is about as good as it gets. I don't know if you can have more success at a younger age, or really, as most people would say, I don't know if you can have more talent than, than Ronnie. If he's not the most talented guy ever, he's probably tied. Right. Yeah. It, well, listen. I don't know if you're you, eclipsing this. You watch old races, and there are two riders that stand out from the 80s, uh, Ron Lachine and David Bailey. And I think more so Ronnie than David. But to me, they're standing up. They're going through corners standing up. They're soaking up obstacles. They're using their body language. They're locking up their rear brake. They're, 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 they look super finesse on the bike. Um, everybody else is kind of bulldogging it, kind of hanging off the back. Ron Lachine style in 1985 holds up to 2023 it absolutely does just watch it he's he you know he didn't dominate he didn't dominate at all outside of 85 nationals and there were off-track reasons for him not dominating but on his day in his time when he was feeling it he was as good as anybody uh you can talk to rj you can talk to wardy you can talk to osha osho they'll all tell you uh and his riding style holds up to this day yeah, uh, I feel that way about both him and Bradshaw. Uh, Bailey style was good, but I still feel like it it was like the best of that era's form. Whereas Lachine and Bradshaw, and the thing to me was that they rode more toward the front or used the front of the bike and downsided things, which was honestly compared to the other guys of that era, the bikes wouldn't even allow it. Like you had to be, I think, young enough to have been, uh, you know, it's maybe not a surprise that the two guys who were so explosive at age 16 also had the most modern style. Uh, whereas they were to me more over the front of the bike, which you couldn't do before that because the bikes couldn't do it. You know, the forks, the suspension, it could not be done. The, the jumps probably weren't shaped right to do those kind of things. Yeah. When I watch either Bradshaw or Lachine ride, um, their style looks very modern as opposed to the early days of motocross, which is, as you said, hanging off the back of the bike pretty much because I'm assuming it's like, well, I'm going to endo or break the front of this bike off at any moment. So I have to <laughs> get back here. And and Ronnie did not do that. And because of that, I don't know what wins him this race, right? I think it allowed him to do some obstacles that other people couldn't do. Yeah, he's going to tell us about how he won this race. And it's interesting for sure to listen to him, how he did it. Um, you know, we listen, there, there's – I was just hanging out with Bradshaw and Millville this weekend, right, and getting some great mm -hmm. stories. A uh, couple of them I can't, I can't even repeat, but some great stories from Bradshaw. And you and I on this phone, I mean, are we Bradshaw fans 1A and 1B? I mean, are, are, we, are we two, number two and three? Uh, is there a greater Bradshaw fans than you or I? I <laughs> yeah, it's right I, up there. Is man. there some way yeah. to measure this? I don't know, but you and I are up there, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and we talk about Damon's um, podium. Uh, is his third ever 250 Supercross in San Diego. Uh, and we talk about him winning Osaka when he was 16 against RJ in Japan. And we've touted this. And to be fair to Damon, the 90s races are a little more uh, what Supercross looks like today compared to the 80s races, the tracks and whys and the dirt and things. So there's some of that bias. But Weege, are we sleeping a little bit on ronnie's accomplishments as a kid in the premier class and we just talk bradshaw because it's more our era and this is you know i was 
eight years old or whatever when this race came out, nine years old. So are we sleeping on these accomplishments of Ronnie? You know, I never thought about it that way. Yeah, in, in some ways, yes, because, I mean, he's literally winning at 16. Uh, Bradshaw podium to 16 and then one at 17. So from that sense, Ronnie's ahead of him. But I think the difference is uh, Bradshaw's, it's going to be strange to hear me say this, it was a little more sustained. It was like Bradshaw came out and was good immediately. And for those, unfortunately, only four years that he was really at his peak, he was the fastest guy almost every week. And he was immediately then a title threat uh, before long. Where Ronnie had these incredible peaks, then he'd have just races where he just did whatever for months on end, right? And then all of a sudden he'd pop back up and dominate for one weekend. Mm -hmm. um, I think Bradshaw looked more like a full takeover. Like, one of these years he's going to win every race all year where it seemed like Lachine, from what I could tell, would just have a few good races here and there. Uh, it was never as sustained. I know Bradshaw's career was short, so it seems odd to say that, but uh, Bradshaw was in the hunt for titles also immediately, which for whatever reason, Ronnie never really was. Um, yeah, Ronnie really wasn't even in like 88. Well, 85, he comes into the last supercross. He's three back, but he's, um, he's also, uh, got two guys in front of him at the final round yeah. and then he self-destructs at the Rose Bowl, um, hurts his yeah. elbow. And there was one, uh, national, uh, was it 84? He and RJ were actually pretty close. Yeah. Uh, yep. most uh, of the year. Yeah. RJ got yeah. it done. Um, yep. And he, well, and he got, was a contender for every series he yeah. was in yeah. basically from 89 through 92. And as Ronnie will tell us too, he somehow unbelievably at 16 years and four months or something or whatever, he's not the youngest supercross racer ever. That is Marty Tribes <laughs> who won the opening supercross ever. You know, uh, younger than Ronnie. But, yeah, uh, you think yeah. about that. But this is much more modern era, certainly, than when Tripes won. And then Bradshaw is probably a more modern era than this year that Ronnie won. Um, but, yeah. But it, you bring up a great point. It maybe is being slept on as how insane this is to do it in the premier class. And let's be honest, too. 1983, that is no joke as far as competition. And the guys that he had to beat in this race, that is no joke. No, not at all. Uh, you got O'Mara, you got Barnett, Hannah got injured, like you said. You got Jeff Ward, you got David Bailey, you got Brock yeah. Lover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's insane. Legends, all of them, right? Um, yeah. And imagine the hype back then, if this was modern times now for Ron Lachine. Like you mentioned it earlier in this pod, like obviously he was a great amateur rider for Yamaha. He steps onto the factory team with RJ and Glover. You know, he's an El Cajon kid, so he, he's around Marty Smith and Glover and RJ all throughout growing up, and then, you know, just steps into it. He's just the next one of these Al Cajon kids. It just would have been amazing to talk about back then if we had podcasts. Yeah, I mean, we can put it in a real easy perspective right now uh, because of what Jet Lawrence has just done, and it's hard to compare here because there wasn't even, as you said, a 125 class for Ron to even be in. Uh, of course, Jet spent two or three years in the small displacement class because it was available. Uh, uh, but four, as amazing, four, four, sir, four years. Oh, sorry, I know just, you're still just, on that. You're still on that. Uh, just okay. let, the fact, let the fact speak for itself. Oh, okay. Um, of course, he spent a few years in the class because it existed. It didn't exist in Ronnie's era. But if you just want to think about how much hype and enthusiasm, and you know, Jed is the guy of the future of the sport now. I mean, just imagine someone winning a premier class at 16. Uh, and yes, Ronnie would eventually have off the track issues that would slow him down but i don't think in 1983 anyone knew that was coming right no you're probably just like 
Give it a year or two, and he's going to win every race ever. He'll be completely unstoppable by the time he's 18. Yeah, for sure, right? Uh, yeah. I, there's no video of this race, but Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie wins the heat race. And then, as he tells us, he does a double. This will never happen again in this day and age. He does a double that no one else is doing and saves it for the main event, does the double. Uh, there's some highlights. I think I saw it on YouTube somewhere. I think there's highlights of this race. It may be in an 83 compilation or something. Um, and he does this double that other no one else is doing, and he just uses it to pull away. He's got a 22-second lead. Uh, on the last lap like he just dominates these guys and it's all because he was doing this double and it was really a low it is a low uh event race for ron machine he just took the lead on lap one or two from omera and, and he was gone that was it there was no epic battle there was no amazing thing it's just the fact that ronnie got his first one you know yeah yeah that is true um and like i said that doing an obstacle no one can do and winning that age and by that big a margin over these legends i just cannot imagine what people are saying like well the sky's the limit here i mean he's going to be winning every race before long and the pulling it out he did say he did it once right he did it he did the double once he did it last lap of his practice or something he said yeah yeah there's no video yeah but right but didn't jet do that exact thing with that quad onto the table at los angeles he did it on the last lap of practice didn't he Near the end anyways, if not the last lap. Right. Yes, true, true. But employing the same technique. Like, I'm going to yep. do it. I'm going to do it late so no one else will even have a chance to try it. And then that's it. But the thing See with the that, race, yeah, but that's the thing. The thing with that is, as Ronnie will explain, there was no video cameras uh, back in 83. And, yeah. and then yeah. I, we all saw Jet and New Jet did it. And there was people watching it on tape. So that's a little different for sure. But still the same same thing. You're right. Same idea. Um I know for sure I remember uh, Wyndham doing that a couple times too. Wait until the last lap of practice and jump in some stuff. So uh, it, was, it was another thing that, that K-Dub liked to do. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm a fan of Ron Lachine. It's been really cool to get to know him over the years. I remember I was working at KTM, and, of course, uh, Ronnie's dad started uh, Maxima. He just passed away a little while ago. And Ronnie's dad started Maxima USA, and we used to see the dogger uh, in a sandwich shop down there because the KTM shop was real close to Maxima. And I was just like amazed at, at, at him, um, and I was just like, "Oh, it's the wrong machine." And then uh, I kind of got to hang out with him when I got out of the industry, started working for Parts Unlimited. He was at these trade shows for Maxima, and I would just abandon my booth to go talk to Ronnie for hours. Uh, he was always <laughs> the coolest guy, the nicest guy, uh, um, the whole time. And also, um, 1988, Millville, 88 or 89, he was uh, eating dinner by himself in the hotel restaurant. And myself and my brother and maybe another friend of mine, we, we like stalked out a booth uh, close to him and was just staring at him like he was like a gorilla in the <laughs> zoo eating. And we're just watching Ron eat like a salad or something. And uh, we're just like, oh, my God, it's Ron Machine. He's right there. It's great. Good times. Good times for Ron Machine. He was always my favorite. I liked the bad bone stuff. I liked the Dalmatian stuff. I liked his riding style. The off-track stuff, we didn't know any of that back then, right? Um, yep. And, and we just, yeah, we had him on the Pulp Show recently and i asked him ronnie out of all these stories that we hear about you and everyone's got one and and they all happen and this and that i'm like with yours like everyone is true and he just laughs and goes just about everyone <laughs> <laughs> you know because there's always these larger than life stories of these guys right um you know missing practice in geneva the 88 destinations up all night uh the, tr the trophy girl stuff like all of it and he's like yeah just about everyone is true <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's great.
Um, uh, go ahead. I, I feel bad. Um, I think there was a, I, I think there was a little confusion for a little while over Ronnie. Like, yes, he was a bad boy in that sense, like the staying all night, the partying, whatever, not probably riding and training as much as he should, that kind of thing. But I think for a while that started to get confused. He was not a jerk though. Everybody loved Ronnie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I think there was a little bit of confusion because of, say, what like Jason Lawrence was. They're like, oh, oh, yeah, I heard J-Law was super fast, maybe didn't train, maybe set out all night and could still win a race. Kind of like Ronnie, right? Well, yeah, but people loved Ronnie. Ronnie wasn't a jerk to people like Jason Lawrence was. And that's the difference. Ronnie is lovable. No one, no one doesn't like Ron Lachine. I don't think anyone didn't like him. Maybe RJ just because RJ is a competitor. Well, they had some. But, they uh, had some girlfriend stuff go on in El Cajon, so they had a they had a yeah. rivalry. But it was over a chick that they were both dating, or Ronnie dated after Ronnie, something like that. It was more personal than you know personality, just personality or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that was special circumstances. But I mean, uh, the way RV and Dunge felt about Jason Lawrence was not the way no. the other riders felt about Ron no. Machine. And uh, Wardy loved the guy. And I think loved him. him. Chicken loved him. Uh, Yeah. Imagine Wardy having to look after Chicken and Dogger for a while. (laughs) Um, He got out of. He didn't have. Ronnie was finally off the scene for a little while, and then he inherits Chicken. Yeah. Didn't get any better. Didn't get easier. (laughs) No, it didn't. You know. Yeah. You know. Back in J Law's day, and I talked to Ronnie about this. He he was pissed if um uh he was pissed about the J Law Ron Lachine comparison. He really was. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah he should be. He was pissed he about it be. because he said, first of all, uh, you know, J-Law hasn't done anything that, that I won a national championship. I won premier classes, right? J-Law never did yeah. that. And yep. then the partying thing, he was also like, yeah, man, like I wasn't a dick. I wasn't a dick. I wasn't rolling rental cars. I wasn't doing any of that stupid stuff. I And, and you talked to other people, and, yeah, people told me. Everybody loved Ronnie. Everyone loved him. They all knew he had issues off the track, but he's a good dude. Um so Ronnie used to get mad about that stuff for sure. I know that for a fact. He told me that. So, um, oh, good. Yeah, he should. Um, uh, and the respect the other riders had for how good he was. I mean, I remember watching the uh, Oklahoma Supercross in I think '89. Ronnie led until maybe a lap or two to go, and then he just washed the front. I think, and Wardy ended up inheriting the lead. And I remember Gary Bailey, who was the pit reporter, he's like, "Well, Jeff Ward, I think he just sat back and waited." And he's like, "No, it's like." When Ronnie's on, there's nothing you can do. Like, I was just going to finish second. Like, I wasn't waiting. I was just like, I'm going to finish second. I can't beat him. <laughs> Again, things you would never hear today. <laughs> like like Stanton, oh. like Stanton uh, yeah. Rarissimo's a little while. Uh, I got tired. <laughs> I got tired. Right, yes. Right. <laughs> you would never admit defeat. Yes. No, no. Yes. Uh, uh, but I think those guys knew that uh, he was a bad dude. And you're right. He probably doesn't get enough uh, respect for, for winning this much, and especially this early. Yeah, and then, you know, his national title is maybe looked – looked at a little bit differently because he's on a Honda and they were so damn good and he was so dominant against those dudes. Uh, he lost like four motos all year. One of them, flat tire, one of them his bike broke, you know? So, like, yeah, he was just, just crushed it, right? Um, yep. Uh, you know, some of us were on a crusade for a number of years uh, mm. to get Ron Lachine in the Hall of Fame. In mm. the Hall of Fame. Um, it was just a travesty that, uh, that he wasn't in there for a long time. But we got it. We got it done, Weege. Ron Lachine's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, look, I, as I said, he's a two-time Des Nations champion, right? One of them winning his class outright. Uh, national champion. 
He won in 500s. He won in 250s. He won indoors. He won out. He won on 125. I mean, the guy won on any size of bike, indoors and out, and was a Disney Nations guy. Uh, yes, he's got w- only one national title, just like Greg Alberton and, you know, just like, um, you know, a few other guys. But, dude, he was more than that. And that's kind of what I wanted to break through all those years with my lengthy diatribes about Ron Lachine. And I'm glad it worked. But seriously, he, did, he needed to get in. I'm glad Ronnie's in, obviously, but on a larger thing, I felt like your crusade somewhat put a spotlight on, hey, what is going on with this Hall of Fame here? Why are so few motocross guys getting in? Uh, Big credit to Brock Lover, who I know is a big part of that as well, and a bunch of other people that managed to – something has changed now. So going to the Hall of Fame this year, it was five people, all completely just moto people. Yeah, what I don't uh, understand know, is yeah, I was told by, I was told by Brock and Rob Bidas, who had something to do with it too, that just motocrossers weren't voting. Flat track guys were voting, road race guys were mm-hmm. voting, and you know because it's only open to AMA lifetime members and uh, and it's a few other dignitaries and things like that. And as, as I explain, as I got explained, it's not that they're shunning motocross people; they're just motocross people don't care. They're not voting. So we got to make a oh. push to get people to vote. And I just okay. wonder, like, what are all sudden motocross people voting? Like, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It just seemed weird to me, the whole process. Like, I, I, I don't know. It just seemed odd. So Yeah. Yeah, you know. it is odd. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that started to make it a focus. Um, I didn't realize that. It's just a straight-up vote. Yeah, um, yeah. No other politics involved. No, no, it yeah. just seems it flipped all of a sudden where it, now it's nonstop motocross. Yeah, we just got Dunge and GL and Rita, Coombs. And, yeah, it was just all motocross people, like you said. Uh, yeah, yeah, Travis Pastrana, Barry Hawk. It was all dirt bikes yep. uh, all the time. Uh, um, and there were many years without any. Thank you to Liet, of course. Uh, Liet is a promise of things to come and a promise to make things better for you uh, on the bike or on a mountain bike. And uh, Liet.com for more information on that. Scott Sports, providing the best in goggle technology to all motorsport disciplines for over 50 years. Uh, guys like Jason Anderson, Pro Circuit, Caleb Russell, Chad Weenan, and more. Choose the quality support and product from Scott. Scott is excited to relive iconic moments in the in the sport with the Re-Racewells podcast, many of which included Scott Goggles. Scott, the only goggle made in the USA. Also, Weege, breaking news for the Re-Racewells podcast is our guys at Scott have re-upped for 2024. Nice. Yes, so so they are they are back for another year of the Re-Racewells podcast. Thank you to guys at Scott. Uh, also, Decal Works, Pulp Mex 23 is the code to save. Ron and the boys down there doing great things. Red Bull KTM, Factory Husqvarna off-road team as well. Uh, from the wild to the wild, they will make it for you. Uh, thank you to decalmx.com. PulpMX23 is the code to save. Great service, great uh, product. They will send you a proof. You can move your logos around. You can do all of that stuff. Thank you to Decal Works, Guts, uh, Max's, Scott Goggles, and, of course, Liet. Um, all right, Weech, anything else about this, or you want to get into Dogger? Should we just talk to Ron Lachine? Yeah, sure. He's got some hilarious stories, as always. And what I love about Dogger, he's he's like, how do I explain this? He's he's very modest. Uh, he'll he'll just tell you how good he did, but he's not doing it to brag in a way. And he'll also tell you what he did that was not good. It's just shocking to hear someone who cares so little. He's not trying to make any sort of statements. He's just telling you what happened and it's it's refreshing sometimes he's not trying to remind anybody and like you said with the stories are all true i don't feel like he's ever i've never heard ronnie say something and you look back you're like ah, that's not actually the way that went down yeah no he's pretty pretty open and honest i think he knows he was a bad dude but also 
he's a fan. He's a fan of the sport, so he's not one of these guys yeah. to sit there and be like, oh, we walked uphill to school both ways or whatever. You know, he, he truly is a fan. He's always been that way. So, Yeah, um, cool. All right. Yep. Lee at Reraceables. Here's Ron Lachine talking Orlando, 83. All right, everybody. We've been talking about the 83 Orlando race uh, on the Lee at Reraceables, so who better to get on here than the man who took the win, 16 years old, 450-250 Supercross win, Ron Machine, what's up, Dogger? How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. Good to good to see or hear you guys, and uh, great to be on the show. Thank you, appreciate it. Yeah, we've been breaking this race down a little bit and talking about it. What a night! Um, I think it's somewhat. You know, we talk about Marty Traps winning the first race, and, and we talk about uh, the McGrath era, and we talk about Bradshaw a lot. And I think this one's lost a little bit to history that you were 16 years old. There was no 125 Supercross class, and so you were thrown in with the big dogs, and you won. It's your ninth Supercross ever. You podiumed your fourth Supercross ever. And, uh, yeah, so it was kind of one of those things. I want to start a little bit from the beginning, though, Ronnie. Like, you were an up-and-coming amateur. You did great at Loretta's and Ponca and all of that. Did you think first year out, like I can win supercrosses? Like, did, did you think that? You know what? I really didn't, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, I, uh, I didn't, you know, I signed the factory contract with Yamaha and because I was so young and, uh, and, and the reasons I don't really remember, I didn't ride. I think it was the first three rounds. They didn't, I didn't ride Anaheim and I, don't know if the second round was Seattle, but I didn't ride the first three races, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You made your debut at Daytona. I was going to ask you the reasoning behind that, but okay, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I just think, think that maybe they thought I wasn't quite ready yet or, or for the 250 or, you know, I, like I said, I don't really remember. The, mm -hmm. the theory to me was I wasn't quite ready. Yamaha didn't think I was ready to race the whole series, and I do remember Daytona. I think I'm... You know what? My first round was Atlanta, to be honest with you. My first Supercross ever was Atlanta Supercross. It was a mudder, mm -hmm. and I didn't make the main event. Um, Barnett won, and I remember watching through the through the tunnel, and it was just sheet raining. And I, I think I went to the LCQ, and it was, it was like slot car track. It was the gnarliest thing I'd ever seen. That was my very first Supercross. Then I think Daytona might have been the next weekend. Mm -hmm. I made the main, but they were doing like a 40-rider main event back then. Mm-hmm. It was two rows start, and but I think I made it in the top, you know, obviously in the top twenty, and I might have got shit. I don't remember if I got in the top ten or yeah, you got ninth, you got yeah, ninth, yeah. I think I, yeah, I think I got top ten. So, and then I think my first podium was Dallas, which was a couple, maybe two or three races after that. Yeah, your fourth ever race, you made the podium. So, like, you know, if I'm Yamaha, if I'm um, Ken Clark. The manager back then, I'm like, holy shit, this kid. Like, you know, <laughs> fourth race ever. He's on the podium. Like, yeah, pretty pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, it was uh, it was cool. It was, uh, yeah, like I said, it took me a few races to kind of get the format down and get a feel for the guys. And, um, you know, talking about Orlando, it was the first race that my dad ever went to, which was really cool. And I think that might have had something to do with, having my dad i mean we raced together obviously my whole life until i turned pro and then you know when i went to atlanta that was the first race that i left mom and dad and i was out on my own and um my dad actually went to orlando and um i think that might have helped me keep my mind together and and really focus on 
winning and and like I said then then we got on the track and you know during practice I I found this jump that I could that I thought I could double and I did it once in practice and then I didn't jump it again the rest of the night I kind of held it underneath you know held it held it as a secret and uh the only buddy that knew I think Brock knew about it and you know my mechanic Keith Bacardi and and we just hit it from the whole from everybody I didn't do it in the heat I didn't do it anymore and then in the main event came out and I jumped in on the first lap. I think I had about a fourth place start and I hit that thing and I landed in first and the rest is history. <laughs> no dart fish back then. To, no dart fish. No, uh, no shadow filming of this, of your well, practice. Well, like I said, you know, back then I, I don't believe they were filming, you know, they weren't filming practice before yeah. that, um, all the teams. And after that race, they started the next weekend, they started video and practice. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah, this invented it. <laughs> I, I mean, I yeah, I mean, like I said, they uh, like I said, I hid it from everybody and nobody knew. And uh, so the next week, the the teams all started video and practice and going back in the truck, going over the the lines and the jumps and all that stuff. Hey, I asked this of everybody that raced Supercross in that era: Were you practicing Supercross? Was there even a place to practice or a test track or anything, or, or were you just showing up? Just showing up. Just no riding the motocross track and showing up at Supercross. Yeah, like we did not. Yeah, we had no. The first track that I ever had that was a Supercross track was when they first built the Cowie track in. Oh my God, I want to say '88 or '87 or '88. Or actually, no Honda. Now I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Honda Land. When I signed for Honda, mm -hmm. Honda Land was the first place that I went where there was an actual Supercross track built. Oh, so there was a time where Honda was the only team that had a practice track. I believe so. And then I think Yamaha got one at De Anza, and then Cowie got one, you know, where they have it now, up there off of the off of the 15. At some point, Glover and Ricky built a track and bought – Yeah, know, yeah I've, I don't I've know seen what you, videos. When... Yeah, I've, I've heard stuff about that, and I think that was out in Julie, uh, Hamul. Yeah. Out by where Burner was – they had a – some property out there, I think, on the Daily Ranch that they yeah. built the track. I never rode that track. You never practiced <laughs> much, Dogger, let's face it. There wasn't a lot of midweek stuff for you. So. Man, they are not not so much. At that time, there kind of was. Hey, I built, <laughs> all that, I built all the muscles. I built all that all the skills up when I was young, and by the time I turned pro, man, I already, I already... – <laughs> Oh, there you go. <laughs> you were good. <laughs> Uh, so after you win this, okay, you're still only 16. Were you like, oh, I'm going to win all the time now? Or was it almost like you didn't even internalize all that? What's it like when you win this early? You know what? Like, I, it's hard to remember, but I, I mean, I, I, I was kind of like, hey, I arrived. I mean, that was it. I mean, I, you know, my whole life culminated in that moment. And it was like, dude, I'm here. I arrived. I can do it. You know, it's like this, the same thing that today, you know, once you do it once, you're like, once you know you can do it, you can do it again. And it's the confidence. And, and then I went and won the next weekend. I Two weekends in a row, won my first outdoor national the next weekend. So, Yeah, 120, the 125 national, right? Yeah, at Whitney, Lake Whitney the next weekend. Oh, so you were rolling. Yep. Jeez. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, when did you turn? What are, you, are you a December birthday? Is that what it is? Yeah, December 13th. Yeah, so you're, I mean, you're you're barely 16 when this season begins. Yeah, like I said, I think that might have been part of the reason that they held me back a little bit for the first the first part of the season, and 
you know, I, I don't really remember exactly why, other than they were thinking maybe I wasn't ready for, you know, I wish I would have rode the first few races. It had just been that much quicker that I would have, you know, adapted and, and, and done well. And this double that you do, uh, okay, so you guys don't even have supercross practice tracks. We know the bikes are so rudimentary, from even what they'd be even five years later. I mean, what was it like trying to do whoops or crazy obstacles on those bikes? And a lot of it's probably like the first time anyone's doing any of it. There had to be some sketchy moments, or did you not even think about that? There was, for sure. I mean, I, I you know, I tell a lot of people that try to understand the tracks that we used to ride. I mean, we didn't have, you know, there was what Savitsky's, um, you know, he did some of the tracks, John, but, um, you know, every town we went to, they had a different track builder and the jumps were built different and they, you know, it wasn't about, Hey, let's make it safe for the riders and let's this and that. It was like, let's, you know, cause they, you know how it was, they would, you know, advertise these huge crashes and all this stuff. And that was all the hype, man, man, they, we want <laughs> the mud, the blood and the beer, you know, and all this. So, um, yeah, everywhere we went, it was really hard to get used to the tracks and figure them out. And, and the, you know, the faces of the jumps and stuff were, were pretty steep. It wasn't like the ramps and stuff they build these days. That's for sure. So yeah, there was a ton of sketchy moments. Yeah. You won, you beat O'Mara, you won your heat. And you said you didn't do the double in the heat. You won your heat, and then you beat O'Mara. You grabbed the lead early, and you beat O'Mara by 23 seconds, it said in Cycle News. So it was a rather uneventful main for you. Just, you know, circulate, do the laps. And in Cycle News, you're quoted as saying you didn't know if you could hang on for that long. But, uh, yeah, it worked out all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I kept doing that double, you know, all. I think I did it every lap in the main. And there was one time, I think, on the section that was coming next to where that double was that I cased another jump. And kind of, you know, that was a little sketchy moment that I cased this other jump. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I better hang on to this thing. But, uh, yeah, just... I had a big lead and, and there wasn't nobody, you know, like I said, that double was probably two seconds a lap or yeah. maybe more. So once I did it four or five, six times in a row, I had a huge lead and I just uh, just held that. What did you do after the race? Do you remember? Like what uh, did you go for a, like a Denny celebration or did Glover take you somewhere? Like, yeah. You know what? I really don't even remember what I did after the race, to be honest with you. I have a picture right here in my office that I'm looking at right now. I'm holding a 40-ounce cold Miller beer with my <laughs> truck in my hand and, uh, <laughs> and my dad's background. So, oh. um, yeah, I don't know. Dad was there, so I don't know if I, I right. got to go out and have any fun or not. Weege, we were talking about it on the Pulp Show when Ronnie just came on recently. And, like, he's 16, and they hand him a beer. And, like, just nobody even blinked. Nobody was, like, Miller or something sponsor type thing? Yeah, well, Miller sponsored it till you know, what, through, I think, 83, 84, maybe even 85. And then Coors came in, and Coors started. I remember, I remember going to the Coors factory in Golden, Colorado when we had the National in Colorado in maybe 86 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, nobody so even... Many years of, of uh, underage beers on the podium. Many years. <laughs> Yeah, there was it was an apple cider they were handing me. That's for sure. <laughs> it's just funny how that works. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm interested. Do you still have the trophy, Dogger, for this race? You know what? I don't know where the trophy is. To oh, be honest, shit. With you. Okay. I know. I can see it here. Like I said in the picture, I'll yeah. text, I'll text you this picture when we get off the phone. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought my dad had it um, over at his house in Kingman when they lived over in Kingman, and mm -hmm. uh, but it actually turned out to be. Uh, the trophy that I won at the donations in 85 and 85, we won some really bitching, uh, lead crystal cups mm -hmm. in Germany. 
stuff, and I still have those, and that's a couple of uh, my most prized trophies for sure. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, Ronnie, obviously you would go to Honda the next year, 84, and you know the Honda works bikes are next level, but this is the last year of Yamaha's works bikes. They had the rotary valve 125 for you outdoors that you won on. Were these any good, these Yamaha works bikes? Because, again, like this was still a works bike era for Yamaha. They, they ditched it the next year. Were these bikes any good? Yes. They, they were. were. Okay. They were very good, and I they were great bikes. I really liked them. The, the Supercross bike was a really good bike. Um, you know, I ended up winning the San Diego Supercross at the end of the, the year that year, and I ended up riding the 84 production bike, and that, that they had just came out, and we went to – Lucky Yamaha here in San Diego and bought a mm-hmm. bought an '84 production bike and ended up winning San Diego, and they were good, man. I I really liked the Yamahas. Um, when I got on the Hondas in '84, man, the power delivery was so much different. They hit so hard. It took me a long time to really get used to the Hondas, just because of the the way the power delivery was and and the way the bikes handled and everything. It just took me a while to get used to it because I've been on Yamaha for quite a while, so even since amateur. You sure. Know? Yeah. I'm interested. I'll let Lee jump in after this. Like you, you're a student of the sport. You're a fan of the sport, Ronnie. You you know all the history, the record books. A lot of racers don't. A lot of racers are just clueless to these guys. And and you some in some ways you need to be that way when you're trying to be the best. You you know you, screw this guy, right? Who who cares how many records he has or wins he has? But you're the opposite. You're into the sport. So I'm curious. You know Brock Glover obviously well from El Cajon and RJ, so they're factory riders, and you're an up-and-coming amateur star. But when you turn 16, are you – like, does Hannah scare you and Bailey and O'Mara? Like, are you intimidated by these guys at all? Or do you remember being like, no, I know these guys because, you know, I know Brock and he knows them. And, like, I'm sure there would talk – I'm sure, like, at some point Glover told – Bailey and O'Mara, like, hey, there's this kid coming. He's really good or whatever. Like, I don't know. Were you intimidated at all by these dudes? You know, I might have been on the inside. I mean, but it was something that, you you know, I had to suppress and something if you, you know, if you want to be. Of course, I looked up those guys and all that growing up. And, and I was friends with Ricky. We we went and rode. You know, I was thinking after we did the show the other night about, a, you know, I beat Rick at a, at a local race. It was a memorial race. And I think I was 14 and he was 16. And we actually went up to the track during the week and we snuck in and we rode. And there was a like this other double right by the finish that he did and showed me, and then I ended up doing it. And then down the weekend for the race, he showed up after he turned pro, and uh, I ended up beating him at, at that race. And uh, so I rode with those guys, and you know, I mean, if you're gonna, you know, it's kind of like Barsha and stuff, dude. You, you got to act the part, man. Mm-hmm. You, you got to let everybody know that you ain't taking no shit from nobody. <laughs> and that's just how it is, you know. Yeah, like there's the whole thing about Hannah. I mean, at some point Hannah makes a an obituary notice for Keith Bowen, like in 84, yeah. right? Like, yeah. these are the guys you're dealing with, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, back in our day, I mean, like I said, I mean, they try to break your leg. I mean, if I can put you on the ground and then I didn't have to worry about you, that was uh, that was good for me, man. That Everything, you know, if you were in my way and you were, you know, it was it was all about knocking you down, putting you on the ground, so I didn't have to worry about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And no, and everybody just knew that was the way the game was played. Like no one got super mad about that. That was just it. Well, I mean, it was. I mean, that just just kind of the code. I mean, if you know, everybody tried to ride somewhat. You know, there were certain guys that were worse than other guys. You know, some guys rode clean. I mean, Wardy was always pretty clean, or he was really good at hiding it. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> oh man, I missed my brake lever. Or, you know, come up with all that. It's like, yeah, but you laid me out, dude. What's the deal? Your <laughs> you know, some guys were worse than others. Yeah. To, you know, we did hear Wardy told us though that Barnett was like another level of intimidation. So you rode 125 against him that year. Did you feel the way about him? He made it sound like everybody was like in a group, but not Barnett. They were all scared of Barnett. Did you feel that way? Uh, I knew he was an animal training and I knew he was, you know what I mean? I knew he was, he could last and he was an animal that way. But in the sense of, you know, tough riding and rough riding, I mean, I, I guess he was, but I was up for the challenge. You know what I mean? <laughs> I grew up racing some guys that were really dirty and, um, you know, and that's how I learned how to be dirty. If you want, if I had, if I wanted to beat them, I had to beat them at their own game. So I, you know, I was up for the challenge that, that when I beat Barnett at Millville in 83, you know, with the Honda guys cheering me on. And that was one of the, one of the gnarliest races I ever rode. I mean, he was breathing down my neck for 45 minutes. He ended up running into me in the last turn. I, I was so revved up and uh excited when i crossed the finish line i was started dry heaving i mean it was just one of the gnarliest races i ever rode and i i beat him you know it was badass i was so pissed because i was a bomber fan and that guy gave bailey the you know the gnc title I was so pissed at you ronnie yeah. <laughs> that's amazing yeah real quick that uh san diego race yeah later in the year you're like already leaving yamaha right but you can't ride a honda yet so that's why you ended up buying your own bike for that yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I was already signed with Honda, but I hadn't rode the Hondas yet, and, and I couldn't get my Yamaha works bike because I'd already signed with Honda, so Yamaha wasn't going to let me ride that works, my works bike I'd been riding. I hadn't rode the Hondas yet, so, you know, the you know, my dad came up with the idea that, hey, we'll go buy a bike. I'm, you know, my dad had a dealership right up there in that same, you know, right down the street from Yamaha, so I'm sure he knew the the owner, and um, that was that was the that was the idea that we went with. I think Mitch did the motor and we did some suspension and that was it. Yeah, it does. It does suck because everyone was there, but it was a CMC race. And so it is not counted as a supercross win for you, but yeah. everyone raced it. You know what I mean? But yeah, and officially yeah. in the record books, it's, it's not there, but yeah. Uh, you know what? It was really cool. It was one of the best stories of that race. I might've told you before, but you know, there, there was supercross wasn't on TV back then. You know, you had to wait, you know, two weeks for cycle news. And just when I went to school, I mean, I was doing all this stuff. I was traveling all over the country and racing and winning big things, but not a lot of people knew about it. But that Monday morning when I went into school, um, I was sitting there in my second period class and uh, they came over the, the, the speaker thing and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, the wrestling team did this. The football team did this. And, and Ron Lachine was standing a supercross and I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, holy shit. I'm like, I was like, but it's going to be a good week for me. (laughs) Yeah, Davey told me that story recently, and I said to him, I go, there is one thing that will never, maybe another 16-year-old somehow wins one of these, I doubt it, in the premier class, but no one is going to homeroom (laughs) on Monday after a race, after having won a Supercross. That is done. You have that record forever. That's cool. I'll now, take it. Marty, Tri- Tripes was younger than you, right? So Tripes holds the record as the actual, the first winner, and he was younger than you, I think? I, yeah, I believe yeah, so. Right. I think he was like a, just like two weeks after he turned 16 or a week or yeah. something like that. 
Yeah, but again, it's first race ever, so there are a little bit of asterisks to it. But yeah, Marty Tripp's youngest winner of the year probably next, and and like we said, there everyone's going to 250 Supercross, so that, that this ain't happening. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe it'll ever be done again. I think you know, I think Damon might be the next in line. I think Damon was, I don't remember how Damon was maybe 17 or something when he won his first. 250 Supercross. I don't remember. Exactly. Yeah, he was. He was definitely over 17, right? Reach 17 or 18. Yeah, he was yeah. 17, right? Yeah. And he, he was up there at 16 and a couple. But try to remind everybody, uh, the 125 Supercross doesn't start until 1985. So this was just the way it had to be. You just had to go for it, right? Yeah, I had no. I uh, there was nowhere else to go. I mean, it was good. You know, throw you to the wolves kind of deal. Yeah, well, Wardy. You know, I mean, Wardy's four foot nothing, and <laughs> and, and it took him. It took him. Five years of 250 Supercross to even get close. Well, four years, I think, to even get close. I mean, he like he told us, he got his ass kicked for a long time. But there was nowhere yeah, else to I, go. You know, that was it. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool. For me, it was cool because I beat Wardy and RJ winning the Supercross before either one of those guys did. And that, to me, I'm sure RJ was just turning over in his <laughs> bed. <laughs> <laughs> never changes. Never changes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I got two. I think both both Wardy. I think they might have won their first Supercross like week after week. I think Wardy won one and his first, and the next week RJ won. Or it might even have been that same night in Seattle. I think mm-hmm. Wardy won one night and RJ won the second night, and that was both their first crosses in '84. Do you uh, do you remember Whitney? Like, uh, so you won Whitney. Uh, do you remember having a lot of confidence from Orlando, or did something happen in Whitney? Like, did is it? It's not a coincidence you won Whitney the the week after the first Supercross win, right? Like, it can't be. Well, I, I think it's a number. Th- I think the confidence for sure, number one. And, and we started getting that bike in the beginning of the year. That bike wasn't, it wasn't that great. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. we started getting parts for it. It was kind of a work in progress. I think it actually blew up at Hangtown the first round. One of the, I don't remember if it was the first moto, the second moto, but my bike broke. And um, so it just took us a while. I mean, things started really running good about mid, mid mm-hmm. to late. Uh, season and I think I won the last three nationals in a row and like I said once we got that bike going the yeah. confidence um, it all started kind of coming together yeah you won Whitney and then Washugo you got 10th and then you won the next two Lakewood yeah. and, and Mobile yep. Colorado uh, Millville yep yep so um, quite a quite a run for you uh, Lee at Re-Raceables with Ron Lachine anything else uh, Weech no we'll we'll do more of these 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 are always hilarious when we get you on your because you're you just pretty much say it. You know what I mean? Like you don't care good, good, bad, or any other. You're yeah. more uh, unguarded, I think, than a lot of guys who are always trying to tell us how good they are or stuff like that. I don't think yeah, you care. I got, like I said, I'm a fan of the sport. I, I think I texted uh, Steve-O the other day after I got a phone. I remembered the, you know, a saying that my dad always told me back in the day. You know, good or bad, as long as they're still talking about you. And, we're still talking about me, so I guess that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. That's great. Lee at Reraceables, 83 Orlando, 16 years old, beating Bailey and O'Mara and Glover. And, yeah, just uh, quite a night, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's, it's great. Uh, thanks for the time, Ronnie. Always appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right. Good to, good to talk with you guys, man. I appreciate it. All right. See yep. you. See you, dogger. Later. All right, everybody, welcome back. Lee at Reraceables. Good stuff from Ronnie. He, uh, I'm going to use that photo on social that he sent us of him after the race. Ripped. Yeah, ripped. Yep. Funny how, you know, like he, I mean, it really it really was real. He didn't practice much, right? He didn't like to practice much. He 
tried to get out of testing. He tried to not ride much. He wanted to go on his boat, on his jet ski. Troy Lee told us a story one time that he was doing training in a hot tub. He was telling him he was training in a hot tub for a while. Um, yeah, just hilarious, right? Um, but yet he's like, you know, sometimes in the in these hot-ass 500 nationals, he just goes 1-1 on the day. That's it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't, it didn't even make sense half the time when he would just – and again, that's – with us not having the info, I can't imagine what the other guys, you know, with Six Time or Wardy or RJ or whoever, who actually knew how little effort he was putting in, yeah. what were they thinking when he would, <laughs> like I said, all of a sudden pop up out of nowhere and just dominate for a weekend. Yeah, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, you know, kind of not do much and then come back and dominate again. Yeah. And then say, yeah. see you later. Yeah, it was, it was, yep. it was amazing. Um, all right, we don't have all the results. We have just the main event result. It's just one class back then. Again, no 125. So our categories for the Lee at Re-Raceables might be a bit uh, a bit off, but let's 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 get into this. Lee at, Lee at uh, Re-Raceable categories. Who really won the race? Uh, I'm going to say with the 22-second lead at 16 years old in the only class that was taking place, I'm going to go with Ron Lachine. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you think you're right. There, there is no other okay. choice in that for sure. Okay. Um, okay, who's that guy award? I mean, again, we we only really have two choices of guys we have not heard of. I think so. I've well, heard of one, one of really, them, but one really sticks out to me. Uh, had not heard of this guy, and then it only got weirder as I went through the deep deep dive uh, of his results, which is Roger Brown, yeah, 16th in the main from Texas. Did you, did you look up his results? I did not. No, no. It is bizarre. So uh, 77, 78, 79, made some nationals here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, no results at all from 79 until this race in 1983, four years later. Wow, Raj. Yep, uh, makes a main and um, might have been his last main ever. And then no races past 1984. So I don't know anything about Roger Brown from uh, Texas. I'm gonna take a. I'm gonna take a massive guess. Are you ready? I'm gonna take a. I'm gonna take a ridiculous guess at what happened to Roger Brown. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> there are fast guys that disappear around 1984 because they start racing three wheelers. So that's gonna be my guess. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so this race, Cycle News article in this race, it there's only 18 guys in the main event, which is odd. And what? Yeah. There's only 18 guys in the main event, and when you. Uh, when you look, when you read the Cycle News uh, deal about it, they said due to low entries, they had to uh, the need for quarter quarterfinals was eliminated with riders transferring directly to semifinal action after the initial four heat races. So they got rid of a whole section of races. This you used to have to qualify for the semifinal, and that's how Wardy didn't make the main in Anaheim '86. Uh, but they scrapped that, and they said due to low rider entries. So I'm wondering if the if Raj and and bless his heart, maybe not. I'm wondering if Raj took advantage of the low entries and snuck it in there. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. He did finish in front in the main, though, of Billy Lyles and uh, Jim Holly. So there's a picture of Raj in Cycle News, amazingly oh. enough. Barnett is lapping him. He's number 292. He's got JT pants. You know what it says on the side of his pants? What? Big Tex. Really? Yes, this is on the side of his pants. Raj, he is a bigger gentleman, taller, and it okay. says big Tex on the side of his pants. We need to get we need to get to the bottom of this with Rarick. 
Oh yeah, you think Rarick? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. No, for sure. Um, Roger Big Tex Brown. Yep. Yeah, in the main event. He is from Texas. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There we go. Anyone else you don't know? No, I was wondering if you knew uh, David McLean right ahead of him. I have heard of David McLean and all of that. I didn't know if you had. Yeah, that's about all I've got. Definitely right. have seen that name and the right. results here and there. Uh, yep. There's a Jim Holly, 18th. I wonder what happens. Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Unfortunately, we, we I'm not going to say anything about Roger Brown's performance because he did beat Holly. Do you want to uh, – should we text Jim and see if he gets back to us? Yeah, why not? Uh, yep. All right, let me see. Orlando here. 83. All right. You keep talking about something. I'll, I'll text him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Lachine wins. Omera second. Barnett third. Again, that's just a, another reminder of how legit the competition was at that time. But isn't it funny to hear, okay, so they don't even have a 125 class. So that's half the riders you would need on a given weekend you don't even need. And they still had low enough entries where they were having a tough time filling gates in the one class. I mean, what does this mean? 30 dudes showed up 35 dudes showed up total yeah i don't I, yeah, another, yeah yeah it's another one of my favorite arguments here <laughs> yes these were the good, these were the good old days i knew these, you were i knew the, i knew where you, you were going oh, you knew it? <laughs> i knew oh, when the sport was so big that they couldn't even get 40 dudes to show up you know one of the sliding doors of moto is what if hannah never got hurt in this 83 year you know yeah um it's not the same, by the way, when you watch Hannah in these races as what we're saying about uh, – you're saying about Bailey and I say about Lachine and Bradshaw, how mm-hmm. the much your style stood out. But when you watch Hannah ride, he is fast as shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the guys – I hate to say this. The bikes are crap. The tracks are crap. They look slow. But there are times where Hannah's going through a corner and you're like, good Lord, is he fast compared to the other dudes. Also, a little-known fact about this for Jason Wygant, everybody – uh, but mm. Jason Wygant Indian leg wrestled Ronnie's mechanic from this night in a press box. Oh, that is right. <laughs> I had forgotten all about that. Yeah. Got completely destroyed. Oh, you did? Oh, I didn't know what the results were. Yeah. I I thought it was a joke. I didn't I didn't I thought it was some sort of inside joke. I didn't understand what this was. Um Keith McCarty. This, this a, Keith McCarty. Yes, Keith McCarty at that point was an older gentleman. So I'm like, what? I don't I don't understand. Man, I forgot all about that. <laughs> And uh, Jim Holly, of course, is cheering it on. Oh, you got it! You got Indian leg wrestling. You got Indian leg. Wrestling. I'm like, what is that? He's older. What? And then no, he just. Next thing I know, he just took me down. Yeah, that was it. Yes, well, um, uh, I did not. I think I forgot that. Did Ronnie say that that Keith was a mechanic? Uh, no, it's in the article, and I knew that anyways. But it's in the article. Wow. Yeah, they interviewed Keith a little bit in Cycle News. So, um, yeah. Wow. Um, so Keith was his mechanic. This was the last year. I think, I think Keith was a team manager the next year. If not, then for sure by 85. Well, I think he moved up. It wasn't uh, Kenny, Kenny Clark yeah. for a while? Yeah. Yeah, then Kenny Clark moved up, and then Keith became the manager. Okay. Okay. Yep. Oh, uh, we got a response from Jimmy. <laughs> go ahead, Weech. <laughs> Here, J- here's Jimmy Holly. He remembers why he got dead last, Orlando 83. Here we go. Thank you, Jimmy. My gas tank fell off. I think I was running seventh. And the two bolts up front came out of the seat, and it flew off. Gas on my balls. <laughs> uh, oh, Jimmy. Yeah. Never ends. No. Especially, like, like a gas tank coming off, like, in a Supercross. <laughs> like, this, you don't see, oh, Jet Lords, his gas tank's off. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not. Yeah, I love that they're like they're, they're projectile. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> tank full of gas flying. <laughs> like you just don't hear of that. These you don't hear much gas tank falling off uh, in, no. in recent times. No. I'll, oh I mean, my god! I wasn't I wasn't the greatest mechanic, but my tank never fell off. Oh, I can honestly, I can honestly say, yeah. Oh man, I'm just picturing like a major league baseball game, where like the ball goes into the stands and the fans are fighting. But it's like, oh, it's a gas tank. Who's gonna get it? <laughs> gas spraying all over everybody's faces. Gas spraying all over everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, wow. and, and he did say gas on his balls, but it's good to see that it didn't affect anything. Uh, you know, permanently for 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 Jimmy. No, I mean even probably that night. Probably, <laughs> probably everything worked just fine. <laughs> we had uh, we had McGrath on the Pulp Show last night here in town, and a question, a, a tweet at uh, Talon question was, "Can you tell us any Jim Holly stories?" And, <laughs> and Jeremy said, "None that I could say here." And we, just, oh, that's great. And we just moved on. Yeah, it's just yeah, the king is not safe. No, no, nobody, nobody. <laughs> um, so yeah, poor Jimmy. All right. Um, also, too, I was going to bring this up in our main section about Ronnie. He kind of gets screwed a little bit. So he wins this race in 83. He doesn't win another Supercross until late 84. Um, he wins another one. And, it, you know, it's basically a year later he wins his second one. But in November of 83, of course, everyone was there. But it was a CMC uh, a Supercross in San Diego, not AMA. And Ronnie, as he told us, uh, won again. And uh, doesn't count in the record books anywhere, but everyone was there. So, yeah, poor Ronnie. Got screwed out of that one a little bit. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of weird ones like that through the years. Um, Anaheim 88 does not count, even though uh, everybody was there, and RJ won that. That's one less Supercross win for him. Yeah, just weird. However the heck these promoters were somewhat not getting along and mm -hmm. power moves, whatever the heck. However the San Diego Supercross was just not part of Supercross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Lit Kid Award? Oh, hold on. Oh, what? Hold on. Another update from Jimmy. Oh, we have, we have okay. part two. Okay. All right. Here we go. What is it? All right. Funny story. I think the next round, Sacramento at the Cal Expo, after Orlando, I told Haas, and Haas was Jimmy's mechanic, make sure to safety wire in those bolts. <laughs> If you didn't do it in Orlando, safety wire them in. And then the gas tank fell off again in fucking Sacramento. <laughs> what? <laughs> I had a brand new van that I bought him. I punched the inside of it. I was so pissed off. I lost a lot of money because of his fuck up. <laughs> Always goes back to money for Jimmy, too. Yeah. That's the best part. Yeah. No, he, bra yeah, he <laughs> breaks it around. So his tank fell off again. <laughs> Two races in a row, it's gonna stay falls off. Yep. So we so need he, we need to do a Liat re-raceables on the Cal Expo Sacramento race at some point. <laughs> the van, the van punching. Yep. Hoss, no safety wire. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jimmy probably counted the Yamaha contingency bonus money they didn't get in those two races. Then extrapolated that times had he had invested it from 1983, <laughs> 40 years later, how much money that would be today. Oh wow, that's great! Wow, that's why I love these reraceables. You just you just never know. Um, <laughs> all right, Lit Kid Award. Let me ask you this: Where do you stand on boot gators? I actually like them. I, it's probably not what you'd expect. No, but, no, uh, I was thinking I, some hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know they didn't really have a function. Well, 
No, I guess there was supposed to be a function. Was it supposed to be like you could drive, ride through like a water crossing and not destroy your boots? Was that the original intent? I don't know, man, because water's still going to no. get underneath through the, like they're not closing the bottom. Yeah, but I was thinking like um you're not going to get the it. water generally gets in through the top of the boot, so it protects the top of the boot from water mm -hmm. getting in. Yeah. So I was just trying to think that maybe maybe that there was a function. Um, I know by the time that O'Mara was wearing them, it was just for style, right? Yeah. So lit kit, I'm going to go with O'Mara because it's the beautiful, beautiful JT. But he does have a photo of, from this race where he's got the Johnny O boot gaiters, and I'm kind of out on that. But everything else, the factory Honda, the JT blue, the JT white, just looks amazing. Um, yeah. I was going to say, since I cannot find any video of this particular race, I just watched a bunch of other 1983 races. And I'm actually going to go with Barnett. Um, the Suzuki yellow and blue always look good to me. Um, Suzuki should have never moved away from blue. It, blue always looks good with yellow. And uh, he had Fox gear at the time, and they just went with yellow and blue on that. Can't beat it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know what he was wearing in this particular race, but mm -hmm. I saw five other races from that year, and it was the same. So well, I'm assuming that was his look for the year. Oh well, we got another another news flash from Jimmy here. Uh, after all of those stories, he goes, "Or oh, that could have been '84 with the tank. I might have crashed out in '83." <laughs> oh, so, oh, now he's calling. Oh uh, no, he's calling. Okay, well, do we need to get him on? Can we? Should we? Can we? Can we do the Facebook? Or yeah. the uh, FaceTime? Yeah, we can do the Facebook, old man. Facebook, sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, let's 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 try to call him here. Uh, stay oh, this is great. Hold on, people. Right. Weege, it worked. We got Jim Holly. We got Jimmy on the phone to talk gas tank. <laughs> the great Jimmy Holly. What's up, buddy? How are you? Uh, just coming back from uh, putting in an air conditioning unit at my mom's house. She had passed away, and my sister lives there, and her husband with my uncle, and I got to put a new roof on it, and... Yeah, just busy doing a little construction, man. That's about it. Okay, awesome. Uh, as always, busy man. Uh, Orlando 83, we're talking. You, There was 18 guys in the main event only. Ronnie won his first ever Supercross. He's 16 years old. And yeah, you and you get last. 224 on a works bike. Yeah. Yeah, Keith was his mechanic. So yeah. the gas tank story. Let's hear yeah, it. Well, <clears throat> I, I was running, I don't know, I might have been seventh. You know, six, eight, right around in there, maybe five laps to go, and, and my tank started jumping up and down, you know, and <laughs> over the triples, it's going up and down, and uh, the Yamaha's had two bolts in the front and nothing in the back. It had like a strap, and the seat kind of went up and yeah. over, you know, but over the time, it, it, you know, jumping up and down, it pulled the uh, gas line from the uh, cockpit to the carburetor pulled it off. It was jumping up and down so high. And then it fucking flew off. And I was done. You know, I, I, I didn't finish. I was pissed off. And I told Haas, my mechanic at the time, um, I said, hey, man, uh, you know, shit happens. I understand. But, you know, let's make sure we safety wire those bolts so we don't ever have this problem again. And uh, I think the next round might have been uh, Sacramento at the uh, at the uh, Cal Expo, uh, where they raced the flat track, the mile track. They had a Supercross in there, and um, there again running pretty good. And I'd be a son of a bitch if the goddamn gas tank didn't do the same thing again. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you know, he knew I was pissed off. He didn't even come to the truck for a while. I bought him him a brand new van, you know, to drive around in. And with a sliding door, as I said, when he got to the truck, I said, you're so fucking lucky you weren't here, man, because... You see that dent? That would have been your face. I just fucking pushed the van instead. I go, I told you the safety wire the fucking bolts, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I go, man, you're costing us a lot of money, man. You're costing us a lot of money. <laughs> I love how you can always turn it back to, you You always turn it back to the contingency money, the bonus money, the purse money. Yeah. It always goes back to that. that Black that and white. That's what got me going. I wasn't a factory guy. I was just a supporter guy. And that, that's, a, you know, that's a lot of money for, you know, a, a guy to get to the next race and everything. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things that, you, you know, I mean, if you tell someone to do something one weekend, I can understand. But to have it back yeah. to back, man, it's just, and God rest awesome soul. He's passed on. I, you know, I helped him out. Uh, he was homeless, living up in Ridgecrest, and I brought him back down to L.A. and was helping him out the last couple of years of his life, you know, made him a little bit better for me. He was a good guy. He's just a big guy, too. Uh, and the know why I called him Haas, is he, you know, was bigger than Haas on Bonanza, you know? So <laughs> do, you, do you remember if the bolts fell out or broke? Do we have any idea? No, no, no. They, they fell out. They fell out. Because okay. Because I checked. To see if they broke and they were still in there, but yeah, they yeah. weren't. They were completely uh, gone. They, poor they, Hoss. They, 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 he forgot to tighten the fucking bolts. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Um. Yeah, because I told him, Hoss, drill a hole, let safety wire him, because this is dangerous. I could be going over a triple and the bike bog or something, boom, boom, the gas line's yeah. out, the, the float bowl runs out of gas. And there I go, a big crash, you know. So I just said, safety wire him, Haas, safety wire him. Oh. And, uh, I, I, in Haas's defense, the third weekend after that, every goddamn nut and bolt on my bike was safety wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're going to punch him in the face. I would, too. I would, too. Um, hey, Jimmy, what what do you remember about Ronnie? Did you, I mean, you were a little older. Uh, 16 years old, uh, factory Yamaha rider. Did you have much to do with him back in the day? Uh, I mean, a, a little bit. Um, you know, um, it's funny. EJ Franklin out of Chicago, Illinois, he sent me a picture from Redbud. Ronnie had broken shoulder in practice. And back then, they didn't have the Alpine Stars mobile medical unit or the mule to go get, guys. So I, I, Ronnie jumped on the back of my 490, and I gave him a ride back to the ambulance, you know. But, uh, no, me and Ronnie had a good time. we got to get on the show one of these times because i got some good stories in Japan with Ronnie and stuff. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but I, I remember when he was just – he was pretty shy when he was 16, you know. He wasn't really outgoing or whatever, but, man, he was a, a phenom. He, he yeah. was just so smooth and just – you know, I mean, at 16, who wins a, a Supercross in the 250 uh, main event against all the big boys, you know? And he just, he dusted everybody in Orlando, you know? He rode really well. Yeah, he was doing a double, he said, that no one else was doing. Yeah, yep. Yep. he was. And he I did this double, that. and he had a 22-second win over O'Mara yep. that night, you know? Yeah, no, he, he I mean, he was on that night. You, you know, I mean, I've called some races with you, Weege, and stuff, where we see, like, James Stewart or, or Villapoto or Dungey or or uh, or uh, I'm trying to think who else uh, Stewart Dungey Villapoto and Carmichael yeah. all of those guys 
when they're on, they're on. You know, I mean, they're like a, a hot knife going through butter, man. They're just so smooth and just they don't make a mistake and they can come from 15th place. I, I forget the one in Toronto. I think James came from like 17th or whatever and he fucking won the thing, you know. Yeah. You know, but uh, Ronnie was the same way. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, Wardy, Wardy tells many stories. Like just some weekends, uh, we knew he wasn't going to be there for the title, but there right. were some weekends where it was over. N- nobody could beat him. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, awesome. And, and good to see that the, you're. You know, everything works down below after you got all the gas all over them. You no problems, no lasting. Yeah, issues. yeah. That was another thing. You know, stuff was flying out. You know, from the vent hose. You know, and all that. It just was. Uh, uh, you know, I mean. We laugh about it now, but I wasn't laughing back then. <laughs> doesn't sound like it. Yeah, doesn't, <laughs> That's doesn't sound like it. Uh, always great to have you jump in on the Lee at Reraceables, Jimmy. Uh, good stuff. <laughs> we were we were just looking at the results and we're like, our buddy Holly, 18th. Like, what happened? Oh, oh, by the way, Jimmy, some guy uh, named Roger Brown beat you, and we're like. How did Roger Brown beat Jim Holly in, in in Dallas? Yeah. And that's how we got to the bottom of this. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, – hey, also, I got your guys' text. Uh, thanks, Weech, for watching uh, the Italian job. I think I sent you guys a recent yeah. I still get good money from that show, man. <laughs> <laughs> Any, Steve, anytime I'm going through the channel guide on cable on Italian job, even if it's like 2 a.m., I'll just take a picture of it and send it to Jim be like, oh, more money coming in. Yeah, there we TBS go. TBS is playing it again. Yeah. <laughs> It's fantastic. Good stuff, as always. Uh, thank you, Jimmy, for the time. All right, and, you guys uh, take care. Hey, and Steve, uh, one of these days, I want to get up there and see the Vegas Knights with you. you yeah. Know, I want to go to the, uh, what is it, T-Mobile Arena or yeah. something? Yeah. Well, yeah. you can't come up here and see the Knights without coming on the Pulp Show, so we'll have to tie it Yeah, together. yeah, no, yeah. for sure. And I hear the F1, everything's kind of screwed up. Last time I was there, Tropicana and... It's just they're building new bridges and stuff. Yeah, it's it's a lot. We're not we're not us locals are not happy. We're gonna start rioting over this construction. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's not good. But we do have the sphere now, Jimmy. Yeah, I saw that. A buddy of mine went to uh, YouTube. Oh. Uh, I think it was on the weekend he went there. He's from Australia and he came out and he went there. He, he didn't tell me what the ticket price was. But, Did he uh, tell you how good it was though? Oh, he said it was excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Weege, because yeah. Weege yeah. has been hearing this on my group text with him talking about the sphere. But once I told Weege the ticket price, Weege is completely out of the sphere. Yeah, <laughs> actually, what, just the drink what, price. What, just what, the drink what, price what, I was out. Yeah. What, what ticket price? Ah, it was up there, Jimmy. It was up there. 1000 2000 No, 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 not that. But, oh, but, well, that's not bad. If it's 500 or something, that's Yeah, tough. see, Weege? Yeah, that's well, it. I mean, <laughs> besides that race with Haas, Jim's done well. Put it, put, yeah, put it this way, Weege. If it's 500 bucks, I'll buy you a ticket to go, and I'll go with you. Whoa! I'm in, baby! <laughs> I'll see you. I'll there, we, there we go. We'll, we'll, bring it, we'll make a pulp show out of it. Yeah, there we go. Oh, this is great. Yep. Yeah, uh, I'll uh, Because <laughs> we did, the last time, last time you came in... The Pulp Show, and I help out, uh, I think it was uh, Stank Dog. Remember, I gave him 500 yeah, bucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like helping people out. Yeah, right help Weege out. There we go. I mean, Yeah, help me out. Watch a concert. <laughs> really great charity. <laughs> I can go check it out because, you know, uh, you, you know I went to that Dodger yeah. in the World Series. Remember, yep. I was on you were on TV. <laughs> I went by myself because no one else wanted to spend $1,000. I said, you know what? You only live once. You only go see one World Series in your lifetime. And my next thing is I want to go see a Super Bowl, you know, and a Stanley Cup. You know, I, I like sticking ball sports, you know. Yeah. There you go. 
All right. Uh, All right, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. Good night. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you. Ah, right, Weege, there you go. You're in. Jimmy's taking you to the concert. There you go. Yeah, I mean, when you think of a charity case, it's someone who needs the help. I mean, how am I going to see a concert at the greatest concert arena ever constructed? How would I ever get to do it? I how mean, would you? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I I cannot think of a better way to give someone $500 and, uh, and someone that's more deserving. Yeah, no, absolutely not. All right, what do you got for Lit Kit? Orlando 83, Lee at Reraceables. Oh, by the way, before we get too far into this, thank you to the folks at Max's Tires, MXSTs, used by some guy named McGrath. Saw him at the Pulp Show. Yeah. And uh, Alex Ray used Max's before he retired to uh, his palatial uh, estates up in Malibu. And uh, Max's Tires, MXSTs. And uh, they got the soft intermediate, intermediate to hard terrain. They got paddle tires now. Mountain bike tires are great. Maxis.com for more information. Light, tr- light truck tires, of course. I've got them on the Ridgeline. So thanks to Fat Maxis guys for coming on board. And Guts Racing as well. Uh, Pulp Show 23 is the code to say with Guts Racing. Get Guts. Uh, seat foam, seat covers, all of it. Custom ordering. Uh, they'll make your own color. They got stuff for the brand new Yamahas in stock as well. So thanks to the folks at Guts Racing for coming on board this podcast. Lick hit for me. I've already covered this. It's Barnett with the fox, orange, uh, yellow, oh, yeah. and blue. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're okay, good. We've, we've done it. Been there, done it. All right. Uh, shit kid award. Few choices. I never liked the HRP stuff. We talked about that before. But there is a photo of Warren Reed. Uh, Warren is a factory Yamaha rider. He's riding uh, RJ's factory bike. Uh, John R's uh, son-in-law from Yamaha, and um, he's on RJ's factory bike. He gets fourth. Good job for Warren Reed. He's also wearing. I think it's MSR back then, but it's just it's just it's just plain. I don't know if it's white or yellow because it's black and white photos. I think it's white. There's no logos. It's just a small little racing stripe down the side. Uh, he's number national number ten, but it's just it's not a good look. So uh, Warren Reed gets a shit kid award for me from this race. Yeah, again, I don't have any footage of this race, but similarly enough, uh, by watching other '83 races, Mike Bell, I believe, is also wearing MSR that year. I think and, so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I watched Bell, I believe his last win. I can't remember. I'm in Dallas. Dallas race I watched, I believe. Yep. Yeah, I think it was uh, Bell's last win, but I'm like, God, that gear is not good. And I eventually, MSR, you know, uh, <clears throat> Guy Cooper's days, like 1990 and whatnot, I thought their stuff looked great, but not in 83. So, yeah, I will assume if Warren Reed looked like Bell, then it wasn't good. You could go with Wardy. He's this is the era of the Kawasaki sideways on the jersey, the Sinisello sideways Kawasaki. Mm, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? That that wasn't a great look for Wardy. But um yeah, not not, not uh, Mike Bell, Warren Reed, good choices. Uh where's JT? Well, it's nineteen eighty three. Uh About three years old. Yeah. Three years old. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Three years old. Uh probably running score sheets in Florida right around now. Okay, already. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh Jacob Marsak Award. Well, I covered it. Yeah, I kind of gave it away. Uh, Warren Reed for me. Fourth place overall. Warren had a nice career. National number 10. Solid privateer for many times. Gets his factory fill-in uh, in 83 on uh, on RJ's bike. Gets a fourth. I don't know if I had Warren Reed ever getting a fourth, but tons of top 10s for Warren, but I'll go with Warren Reed. Yeah, I was going to give the same. I didn't know about that RJ fill-in. That's what they hardly did fill-ins back then. Yeah. I, I wonder what made them do it. Um, but yeah, I got to meet Warren actually for the first time about a year ago. Um, did some stuff at the International Motocross Museum right before the Red Bud Donations. Got to meet him. And uh, same thing. I knew he was a good rider. I definitely heard his name, saw pictures, all that. But I didn't know we got fourth in a premier class main. So 
good on you, whether it's a factory bike or not. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Uh, all right, that's Elliot Race Reraceables categories. Elliot.com, uh, use the contact form of pulpmex.com to get a discount uh, from the folks at Elliot. Really appreciate it. So, yeah, Weege, there we go. Another one uh, in the books, Orlando 83, a special guest appearance by our own Jim Holly, <laughs> lightening, <laughs> lightening the mood. Uh, he's a he's a national treasure. He's a national treasure. Um, and, uh, yeah, Orlando 83, 16 years old. Winning the premier class, Ron Lachine. What a what a what a race! Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good dude. Good to show Ronnie some uh, some respect that he deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, all right, Weech, uh, uh, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks to you people for listening. As always, we'll uh, try to do another one, knock another one out for next week. And uh, yeah, Weech, thanks, buddy. All right, see ya.